Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Oh my goodness, do I have an epic conversation lined up for you today. I sit down with Farah, who was born in the UK, raised in North India, and then moved back to England to pursue her career in banking. In her late 30s, she tragically lost her mother, and a few years later, she also got divorced. In this conversation, we sit down to talk about each of our personal healing journeys, which for Farah culminated in her writing her mother-daughter memoir, Meher and Me. This conversation is powerful. We speak about concepts that are not ordinarily spoken about and could be construed as slightly controversial. We're speaking about soul families, soul contracts, whether we do in fact choose the experiences that we have in this lifetime, and if not, whether there are lessons to be learned through the experiences that we experience. We also talk about our personal healing journeys, what that looked like for us, how we both healed from certain events in our lives, and for Farah, how she kept her household and her career going with two young children to take care of. I deeply appreciated this conversation. Farah has so much wisdom to share, and that is why all of her details are in the show notes. So please, if you want to keep learning from her, if you are inspired by her story, please go and follow her, purchase her book, and support her because her message is a powerful one. It is one that I think is so important for women, for mothers, for wives, for daughters, for people going through hardship in general to hear. So without further ado, I'm going to get into the episode. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Okay. Hi, Farah. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your time with me today. Hi, um, thank you so much. Really happy to be here. Amazing. You have an amazing story. And that story culminated in your memoir, which we're going to speak about. Um, could you just start with a little bit of an introduction, who you are, how you got to where you are today? Sure. Um, so my name is Farah, uh, for your listeners. Um, I'm a Parsi by faith, so we're Persian by origin. Um, I was born in London and then when I was four, um, my mother took me to see my grandmother in India. Um, and then we ended up staying there through a series of circumstances and decisions that my mother made. I grew up then in the northern part of India in a small town. Um, it's a Muslim city. It's called Lucknow. Um, it was heavily influenced by the British rule as well. Um, but the culture is um, ethnically Muslim. Um, I went to a Catholic convent and there's Hindu mythology being part of India. So it was a very, um, it was a melting pot of cultures and experiences as I was growing up. And then when I turned 18, it was, um, we didn't have dual nationality in India. So it was a question of which passport does one retain? And I wanted to retain the British passport that I had acquired at birth. So I made the choice to go back to the UK. Um, originally, I wanted to be a doctor, but again, by no grand design, I ended up in banking and I'm still there uh, many, many years later. And now I live in Dubai. Um, I've been here for the last 22 years and Dubai has been home to me um, and my grown up children now. Amazing. 
so we are going to get into the memoir, into the book. How did we go from banking to writing and publishing a book? Yeah, that that was a little bit of a shall we say a windy road, a bumpy mm-hmm. road. We didn't. It wasn't quite a straight a straight trajectory. To be fair, um, so for your listeners, when they read, they will discover the incident that through which we lost my mom. And for a long time after that, as I was going through therapy and grief counseling, they would ask me to journal my feelings and my thoughts and dig deep. They would say to me, you're not digging deep enough. And I, much as I was trying, a lot of my emotion, maybe I didn't have the words to describe what I felt at the time or what I was feeling because I had no yardstick. I had nothing to compare it to. I had nothing to relate it to even. Um And then over a period of time, I was sitting down with my laptop one evening and the words started flowing. And Elizabeth Gilbert in her book, The Big Magic, says creativity comes to you, not from you necessarily. And it was literally the inspiration came to me and I started writing. And then I had my journals to refer to specific sort of incidents um, or feelings at particular points in time. And then the story sort of built from that and it became my creative outlet in the evenings after work, I would come home and I would write or at the weekends. Um, and it took it took on a life of its own. And once the story was ready, it was a question of what was the best route to get it to market or what was the best route to tell the story. And again, that I went through a few iterations and a few sort of knocked on a few doors and eventually um, it came to be the project that it is today. And i Published, self-published with the help of a team in the US. Um, and you can now readily sort of access the book and buy the book on uh, online retailers around the world. Mm-hmm. And the story itself, without giving too much away, is obviously about your experience with your mother and um, largely around some of the lessons that she imparted on you, correct? Correct. It is. It's so I had a bit of an unconventional childhood, if you mm. like, right? It wasn't, it's not your um, sort of cookie cutter. You grew up in a town and you go to a big town or anything like that. And my mother was a very large personality who made some very un- unconventional choices. And admittedly, they weren't my choices, but I was along for the ride. So it was, I was part spectator and mm. part um, sort of enforced into a situation um, and living a situation that was not of my own making. Um, so it was, it's part of that journey. And also um, my mother was a lawyer and very um, stood up for what she believed in, very principled and very outspoken against any injustice that she saw, which is what led to the incident that led to us losing her, which is what I describe in the book as well. Mm. And then how one handles grief in a way there's no one way um, and there's no right way or wrong way everyone handles it differently but it's a little bit of a process for each of us and I describe the things and the tools I tried and tested and some gave me better results than others um, but we were just trying to process. One of the things that you mentioned your mom told you is she said that we choose our lives for the lessons that we will learn. And I know that your book follows this kind of idea of if I have chosen this life, 
how could I have readily chosen a life where I lose my mom, especially in the way that you lost your mom? I'd love to know your current thoughts on that statement as well as your initial thoughts on that statement, especially around the time of losing your mom. And I'm sure they've probably changed, you know, your thoughts from time of loss to now. And um, how how have they changed? How What has that journey looked like for you? So I think when she would have said it to me when I was younger, and it was typically when I might have been complaining about a particular situation I was facing. So mom was very spiritual and she believed in spirit families, if you like, right? Mm. So you choose to come into a particular life for certain roles each one would agree to play and there would be this family constellation in a in a way that's teaching each of us what to do um, and lessons to learn. So if I ever said, oh my God, uh, whatever the particular scenario was, she would just remember you chose it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would be like, I'm really not sure I'm, I'm subscribing to that thinking and that thought process. Um, and then as you grow older, and especially around the time when we lost her, that sentence would not land with me at all because even to date, it's very difficult to make sense of what occurred. Mm. It, no, it was such a random act of um, brutality that you can't comprehend it. And there's no way that I could ever believe that I would willingly choose to experience that or even say, okay, I'm going to be part of this journey of these lessons with this group of souls to experience what's going on. So I think that one I find still I wrestle with a lot, um, but perhaps less so than right at the onset. But I think some of the other lessons that I think have come through or come to bear, there's a lot about self-reliance that I think is a recurring theme in my life um, about being able to be self-sufficient, provide for myself or, you know, my immediate family or take on the role of the provider as well. So I think that seems to be a repeated lesson. And maybe, you know, I chose this life to learn that lesson, to know that I can and I have the ability and I can be self-sufficient and to trust in my own skill set and know that I have it within me to provide for whatever it is that I need and not to look for external sources or individuals to provide any of that to me. Mm. Um, I remember originally coming across this notion of the soul family or soul contract um, quite a few years ago, actually, and also wrestling with this idea of could I really have chosen this situation? And it's hard enough when you're going through, for example, a breakup and you're sitting there saying, why would I choose this? But it's a whole different story if you, you know, have lost a parent in a brutal act or if you yourself have had some sort of really horrendous crime inflicted upon you. It's a completely different mind game, I suppose. And I think it's also quite a controversial notion um, because a lot of people would then almost retaliate and say, why would a 12-year-old child choose to die of leukemia? You know, why would we do that? And I think that's that beautiful intersection of it's not our job to know all the time. It's not our job to fully understand. It's really 
often our job to experience and to accept the things that we cannot change and to actively seek out the lessons in them as you have done, right? That that peace on self-reliance, that peace on being able to provide, um, even though on a mental level you might still struggle with the concept of, okay, maybe I did actually choose this, um, which we will not know until we exit this life. But um, you have actively sought out the lessons in the harmful situation, which I think is profound. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I think if you sit to make logical sense of it, and as you say, people would retaliate, and that's why it's not a notion that you would you know scream from the rooftop. <laughs> but it, for people who believe in afterlife or believe in rebirth or believe there is something more than the here and now and the body that you inhabit, then, you know, that's an idea that they might accept, you know, um, and be open to the suggestion of, but you're right, means we see so many horrors in the world. And it's really hard to reconcile that with the outcome that you're seeing and think that someone might have actively chosen, chosen to go down that route to learn a lesson in whatever the horror is. But I think even if you take that aside, take out the choice aspect of it, whatever we do experience, whether we chose it or not, and you choose to believe that or not, is teaching us something, mm-hmm. right? When you, as you say, you go through a breakup, you there is a certain emotional re- resilience and strength that comes after the breakup and after you've been through it, right? When you experience loss, you are profoundly changed by the grief of that and you can empathize with other individuals on a level that you may never have been able to before um if you go through a divorce for example you know finances always play a role and that's where say self-reliance comes in or the need to be able to negotiate or the need to be able to manage things on your own that perhaps you didn't do before and again you learn a different skill set so i think every challenge brings its own lesson and it's the ability of the individual to absorb and assimilate and go with that, I think that brings the strength in the in the long run. Mm. I think for me, because it is something that I, I don't know if I believe in it, but it's definitely something that I can get behind. It doesn't offend me. I can, if someone had to say, Emily, you came to this world and you chose this life, I would not get offended, right? Um, yeah. And I think in times of hardship, it has definitely helped to ground me. You know, they uh, people often speak about your kind of like two arrows of suffering, the initial pain being the event that's happened, and then the additional layer of suffering being your resistance to whatever is happening. And I think that concept of I've chosen this or and or the concept of this is teaching me something, this is forcing me into some sort of evolution um, has always helped to remove or at least limit or mitigate that second layer of suffering so that I can more easily and readily accept the situation that's occurring and then only have to deal with the I say only, but only have to deal with the pain and grief of the actual situation rather than my resistance to the situation on top of that. But I think it's that acceptance that's the key word, right? Because 
we so believe we're masters of our own destiny and mm. we make plans believing we have control over events. But I'm sure you, me, your listeners would have experienced where life changes in a phone call, a text message, an email, a chance meeting, and your life takes on in a completely different direction to what you might have thought or planned. And whether you believe that's the universe or destiny or fate or whatever you believe has taken you on that route, then you also have to believe there's a power greater than us that Mm. can influence things in our lives. So the resistance comes in when it's not going according to the way you envisaged or you wanted or you planned. But if you can relinquish that control a little bit, Mm. I think it becomes easier, as you say, in that second layer of suffering, you can diminish. You may not be able to completely uh, eliminate, but you can diminish to say, okay, I'm this is the moment I'm meant to be here and I'm meant to learn something from whatever it is that one is going through. In the moment, it might be harder. I think with hindsight, it's a little bit easier. Mm, of course. Um, but in the moment, the natural sort of instinct to rail against whatever's happening kicks in. Oh, well, of course, your whole identity, your whole understanding of safety, all of that is completely rocked in the moment. So that mm. makes sense. And that's why a lot of my clients that do come to me for you know, breakups, for example, will want to really push that process of healing and they just want to be out of that really you know deep grieving space and there's absolutely nothing that you can do to speed that up you can assist yourself in that moment you know by whatever you want to do whether it's meditation yoga breath work nervous system regulation all of the things right to assist but ultimately your your whole identity, your whole attachment to this world, your sense of safety has been completely shattered and there's no quick fix to that. It really is this process. And I think then especially is when you have to dig your heels into that faith, again, to whatever you do believe. You really need to dig deep into that, that there is some reason, some sort of... um as you said, higher power that has taken your life in this direction and it's done it for a reason. Yeah, it means I can completely relate to that. I, I got divorced uh, 10 years ago and, you know, when anyone introduces themselves, they will say I'm X by profession and I'm so-and-so's wife or husband or mother or whatever. So you sort of define yourself by your relationship to others. And when you don't have that relationship, it's a question of your identity mm. and that came back part to the lesson of self-reliance and knowing who I am and what I'm capable of. Um, and as you say, you can't speed it up. You literally have to go through it. Um, and I learned a ton, you know, in the moment, did I want that learning? Probably not. Could yeah. I have survived without it? Probably, yes. Um, but it came and one had to learn it. And today I'm a different person because of it, mm. you know, Um so, so there's a lot of there's a lot of um, acceptance. I think is the word that keeps coming up. That just needs to be there to accept. Okay, there's there's a different plan for me. This is not the life, you know, that I wasn't meant to be married for, ex, you know, twenty five years or fifty years to the same human being. Maybe I was meant to be on my own to learn a particular lesson for a period of time, or I wanted to be a doctor. 
when I was growing up, I did biology in school because I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And I've ended up in banking, again, not through active choice, but a series of circumstances. And that's been my career for over 30 years. So, you know, again, it's a question of, okay, I wasn't meant to be a doctor. Mm. Um, and I'm meant to be where I am at now. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting thought that I think we could talk for hours about. Mm. Um, it just depends on everyone's mindset and how they feel about it. Sure. You brought up, obviously, your your divorce and how that can kind of shift your identity or really harm your identity for a period. I also wanted to touch on your father and your stepfather if you're willing to go there because you mentioned that you've lost your mom um, and you also had these tense relationships with both of your father figures and I wonder how that added to your story to your wounding to your eventual healing how do they play into this whole scenario it's a very interesting question I think you know, without wanting to um, summarize or trivialize it as daddy issues, yeah. but, you know, that's essentially what's at play here, right? So the male figures in my life, and if we come back to the the concept of soul families or family constellation, so the male figure in my life and the male provider, the so-called male provider, right? Because today, in today's world, that social construct is being questioned, right? Mm. The whole mm. gender bias is being questioned as to you know, the roles and responsibilities that are assigned to the genders. But when I was a child, you know, the father was the provider meant to look after you. And that was not the role that my father played for me. Um, he was absent. He wasn't responsible. He did not, you know, fulfill his responsibilities as a parent, neither financially, nor emotionally, nor physically present. Um, my stepfather also emotionally not really present and again series of circumstances probably wasn't ready for the responsibility that came um, and wasn't willing to take on the responsibility so then when I considered the demise of my marriage and even though my ex-husband might have been a very different character to my father my stepfather and I think I knowingly or subconsciously even chose a different personality type but the underlying traits of um, not being able to be there to take on the responsibility, you know, came through again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why this whole lesson of self-reliance and me not looking to the male figure, but in a way parenting myself and being responsible for myself, whether financially or emotionally or physically, is a lesson that keeps being reiterated for me. And I really have had to... Um, learn it <laughs> and master it um, and that's the only way I'm going to be able to break the cycle otherwise it's going to keep repeating for me till I don't really take that lesson to heart um, so yeah definitely and then mom was if you like the only present parent figure for me so when I lost her it's like your foundation is rocked because there is no your parent is a witness to your life right they're the first person you want to call to tell them when something good is happening or to call when something not so great is also happening. Um, as long as you have good relationships with your parents, which hopefully everyone, you know, strives towards. But without that anchorage, it's again about finding yourself and defining yourself in a vacuum of any other reference points. Um, so, yeah, it's been 
It's been an interesting journey. Definitely had to acknowledge and work through the male figure issues that I've encountered in my life. Um, and maybe stop looking for whatever it is I'm looking to find in these male figures so that hopefully we break that cycle. Mm. Mm. How old were you, if I may ask, when you lost your mom? I was 36. 36, okay. And do you believe that at that age you had sort of defined your identity or when you lost mom, did you have to go through this process of almost like redefining who you were now that you didn't have this safe background figure to always turn to or to call when you needed to talk to someone? I think my personality, if you like, had come through, I left India when I was 18 and I moved back to London. So those are very formative years. And it was also a process of finding out who I was as mm. an individual. Um, age 36, I'd had both my children. I was married, you know, so, and I was working. I had a sense of identity. But I think after I lost mom and even after my divorce, it's sort of a, it's almost a redefinition of who you are or who you think you are because you think you know yourself and then something will crop up and you'll have a different set of reactions or you'll learn a different lesson and you'll become a different version of yourself. So I'd like to think they're all versions of us, right? As we go through the years, we develop and we mature and layers come through and are peeled back. Um, so I'd say I was a young, mature adult, youngish. I don't know what age 36 is anymore, but <laughs> I was at that age, uh, an adult, mature adult, if you like. But after losing her and going through the process of working through the grief and discovering other aspects of myself and using my resilience or my grit to get through other challenges in my life, I feel has redefined and brought out a different version of me um and today i'd like to think i'm fairly comfortable in my skin i'm fairly comfortable being who i am absorbing and um allowing all the facets of myself to be seen i think which also ties into publishing the book at this time maybe i wasn't ready earlier mm -hmm. and to be able to verbalize and talk about very emotional subjects without the charge that's associated with them closer to the time so you lost mom okay let's let's just call it around about 40 and the reason I'm throwing that number out there is because there are a lot of female figures either in my immediate personal life or just women that I know um who have had certain events happen to them at around about 40 whether that is loss, divorce, even just children moving out of home and have really crumbled under it um, because they had almost spent their whole life becoming woman, scholar, um, whatever career path they chose, wife, mother, and there was this lack of self-identity. So when something was then removed from them, 
there was this point where they all kind of looked at themselves and they didn't know who they were. And for many of them, that's taken them down quite tragic roads. Others are surviving, but really not truly living their, you know, authenticity. Exactly. Hmm. For you, when that moment hit you, and, and I'm sure there were also many moments, the divorce being another moment, was there something that you did to enable your own healing and to also put yourself in that position of empowerment where you didn't spiral, for want of a better word, but or was there an initial spiral and then a comeback? I'm really interested in your process here. I know that you do detail it a lot in the book and I don't expect you to give a full synopsis of the book, but what what was that moment for you where this tragic thing had happened and you really sat yourself in that seat of okay I'm choosing the lessons and the healing as opposed to I'm really sitting in that victim mindset and maybe I don't know going down a completely different path it's a really interesting question again because 40s are associated with the midlife crisis right Mm. that's typically the age where we what we call the midlife crisis so mum around 40 um divorced not very long after um and it was interesting the week that the divorce was filed was also the week I got made redundant from the place where I worked Mm. and I had two young children um so I think did I spiral I don't think I spiraled because my personality type is more of a solution finder even in the darkest moments it's like okay what can I do to make this better or how do I change this or if I lost a job I'm busy updating CV and sending out tons of applications mm. um, the divorce was a hard period because mom was also not there so it was you know um, going through that on my own that was a really um, bleak period so to speak but again it was what are the tools that could anchor me so my children were with me and that was I think a huge motivator to pick myself up and make sure they didn't see whatever was going on um, on the surface. And I would take myself off to therapy or to yoga means exercise and yoga. Yoga, I sort of attribute or I call it moving meditation because that's how I use it. I use it to calm my mind or to help my thoughts that might be spiraling out of control to just come to a little bit of a standstill for the moment that I'm on the mat or in a class. Um, I think if you have purpose or if you can define a purpose for yourself or if you can find a purpose for yourself, it'll give you the energy to get out of bed, to just show up. I think and it's literally one day at a time. Um, I remember when I was having a particularly bad time and I'd say something to my therapist and she's going, for today, do you have a roof over your head? Do you have food on the table? Do you have your health? Are your kids safe? That's all for today. If that's all that's good, that's plenty. And tomorrow will take care of itself. So, you know, I sort of fast forward 10 years from now, how am I going to do? And they'll go to university and, you know, Mm. you'd sort of all these thoughts start coming. But it was literally almost as if I have to go, no, I'm not having that thought today. I'm going to shut the door on that thought. And for today, is there food on the table? Are the kids safe? We've got our health, roof over our head. It's all good, you know, and tomorrow I'll manage tomorrow. But but today I'm good. Um, And it's literally that mindset for today. What can I be grateful for? Did I get a nice cup of coffee in the morning? Did I wake up and 
you know, was the sun shining or, you know, was it a nice day? Um, are the flowers smelling pretty? I love flowers around me. You know, it's just the little things. And it's almost like the daily activities as the house clean or the clothes wash or the iron put away. It's those that little bit of order in your day makes you feel a little bit, not back in control, but just like you can influence your surroundings, right? And if you can find that stillness in your mind, then you can find a way to get through it. Or at least that's how it worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a, a long process, but I think it was literally about being able to harness the mind, strengthen the body, and just find a way to be present in the now and not worry about the tomorrow because I couldn't control the tomorrow. And I had no idea what was coming tomorrow. So for today, I was good. It was all good. Mm-hmm. I resonate so much with that. I can't speak from the position of being a mother because I am not a mother. So I suppose it's a lot, you know, there's a lot less responsibility on me. But I distinctly remember going through a really, really challenging time about two years ago, three years ago now. And um, it's almost like when you are going through that complete grief or that complete shock to the system that your mundane things seem so much sweeter I remember (laughs) literally crying on my kitchen floor and just looking up and seeing the afternoon sunlight kind of just coming through the window and thinking it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life you know and it's it's such a lesson to take with us into the good times as well to really just absolutely kind of suck the marrow out of life and when your bank account's full and there's food in your fridge and you have the big house and you have the car and you have the career don't forget to still be in absolute awe of the sunlight coming through the window um that's really what I took from that time because it, it really is in those dark 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 times where your cup of coffee is the best thing in your day and that's what keeps you going yeah absolutely and I I find so if I I'm dwelling on something that's not going so great I will literally take out my journal and just start writing gratitude for the things that are great to change my mindset and it is as you say it's the coffee it's the great day it's my dog it's you know it's the flowers on my desk it's the nice smell around me it's the little things that cumulatively give you that sense of well-being or that sense of just contentment. Um, and if you can be grateful and content in the moment, then I feel, you know, it eases up and the parts open up for you. Mm. Agreed. This is a bit of a selfish question, um, but I'd love to know how you, because you mentioned going to therapy. Um, I think your your wording was so that your children wouldn't see or something along those lines. How did you protect your children from your own internal state without projecting that onto them? Um, It wasn't easy, I think, uh, would be the first thing I'd say to anyone who's listening who might be facing a similar situation. But it was, again, it goes back to, I just took my responsibility as a parent. And because I'd come from a broken family and I had experienced divorce and I knew the dysfunction that I had experienced, I did not want that to touch my children to the extent that I could control that. So when we got divorced, 
I worked really hard to keep the family home. In fact, just the, the house structure changed nothing in their routine, maintain their school, their friends, their activities, whatever it was that gave them their sense of security. The only thing missing was their father was not in the house with us. Um, and for whatever I was going through, it was drop them off to school and maybe get to the therapist before work or on the way back from the office, stop off at the therapist, deal with whatever. Um, there was many a tear shed on the yoga mat um, mm. as you sort of release. But for the most part, you try and maintain a level of, or at least I tried to maintain a level of normalcy around them so that they wouldn't experience any of what I experienced. So that was always my driver, I feel, to not let them have the childhood I had, even if I couldn't control the fact that I was getting divorced, which again, you know, might not have been the choice I would have made, but that's how it was working out. And I just tried to protect them from that. Mm. Yeah, the reason I say that was a selfish question is um, as a 26-year-old who is wanting to have children one day and also as a 26-year-old who comes from a broken and very dysregulated home, I I sit here saying there's no way I would ever put my kids through what I went through. And um, it's very easy to say that from my position. And so it's really great to see someone who has successfully done that because I think it's much harder, as you said, when you're actually in that moment. As you say, we would not wish whatever we might have experienced that was hurtful wish it on our children, but our kids also come with their own karma and their own life story, right? Um, and maybe they needed to experience, you know, the divorce going through, but you, and that's kind of why I use therapy to, to try and work through whatever the issues are. So I'm hoping we break the cycle because there's so many similarities and parallels between my mother's life and her choices and what happened in my life, even if on the face of it, optically, you'd say, oh, my God, very different, mm. you know, people. But the outcome is so uncannily um, similar that there's a part of me that thinks I have to figure this out at my end so it doesn't come down to the next generation. Um, and clearly, you know, my children have to work through whatever issues that they might have or have experienced as a result of. Um, our divorce but for the most part you try and do your best right but there are no guarantees mm. um, life doesn't come with it but you do your best in the moment and if you've dealt with the trauma of what you experienced and worked through it then hopefully you're also breaking that cycle and not passing it forward and I think that's really the crux of this whole conversation that we've had whether we're speaking about soul contracts, soul families, accepting, surrendering, therapy, parenthood. It's really just deal with your trauma or the cycle is going to continue. And even if, because it's the same, or at least I got to a point in my life when I realized that the dynamic was exactly the same for me and my parents as well. The um, context was completely different. But if we're looking purely energetically, if you will, it was identical. Um, and that scared me because logically or consciously, you are always so aware of not wanting to repeat certain things. And then when you find yourself actually repeating that same energy 
but just you know different contexts different names different places it's really quite a um revolutionary moment yeah 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 um, we're not so different because we like to think we're going to do things so different from our yeah. parents right and then it just catches up with us um and especially when we're younger we think okay we've got all the answers we know how we'll do it different and then you make conscious different choices and the outcome's exactly yeah. the same and you're thinking okay i haven't quite got this cracked at the moment and i need to do some more work and that um, is where that healing then, piece comes into it of if you mm-hmm. can just deal with and and really heal and really look deeply into what you've not only experienced in terms of an event but the conditioning or the patterning or the beliefs that were picked up as a result of the, those experiences we can hopefully then be more regulated for our children and more regulated for our grandchildren and our children could be more regulated for our grandchildren and we can just continue that that healing down the generations so true i suppose then the Last question I'd love to ask you is if my listeners are wanting to get their hands on your book um, and perhaps find out more information about you, how and where can they do that? Thank you. So we have a website. Um, it's called Farah Press. Um, they can go on the website. There's a little, little bit more about me. They'll see some of the pictures that appear in the book in color. So they get a more visual um, imagery, if you like. Um, the book can be purchased from Amazon or any of the online retailers. It's called Meher and Me. Um, there's a link directly from the website. And I'm on Instagram also at farah.press. So your listeners can come and follow and sort of we share excerpts from the book and see some of the activities that I'm involved in um, as we go through the journey of bringing this book to life. So we're really happy for them to see, read, give us feedback um, and hopefully build a community from there. 100%. I will also link all of those uh, links down in the show notes for them so that they can easily access them and hopefully all purchase your book thank you so much (laughs) thank you so much for being on the show I've really appreciated your time and all of your wisdom I know that I've greatly valued this conversation um and so thank you so much